Well, this morning we continue to look at the temptation of Jesus as he prepares for ministry. Now, temptation is something that we all experience. It reminds me of the story of a young lady that told her husband that she was going shopping. And he said, you don't, don't, we, we, we don't have any money. Don't, don't, don't you go shopping. If you, you know, well, I'm, I'm just going to go window shop. I'm not going to buy anything. I promise. He said, okay, now if you start being tempted, you just say, get thee behind me, Satan. Okay. All right. So later that day, she comes back home and she has a parcel with her. And he said, I thought you said you weren't going to buy things. I said, oh, I just, I just had, you, uh, but didn't you tell me, what, why didn't you, why didn't you resist? He said, well, you know, I was just looking and I saw this dress and it just looked so nice. I just had to try it on and I tried it on and I looked in the mirror and I could just hear the devil say, Girl, you look good in that dress. And I, I did like you said. And I said, get thee behind me, Satan. And then I heard him say, girl, it looks good from back here, too. And that's when I bought the dress. You know? Well, the thing is, we're all tempted. Let's face it. And Jesus was tempted. Now, just because you're tempted doesn't mean you have to sin. Jesus was tempted, but he didn't sin. Temptation is the opportunity to show Satan whose you are. And that's one of the things that we see in all of these temptations, all three of these temptations. Last week, if you'll recall, we looked at the fact that Temptations can be divided into three categories. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and the pride of life. And any temptation that you face in life and that anyone has ever faced falls into one of three these three categories, sometimes in all three categories. But they're all they're just those three. Satan is not original. And he's not creative. He only has a very limited uh, repertoire of temptation. And he also has a very limited tactic. And his tactic is to dispute with, to cast doubt on, and to twist scripture. And so here we find Jesus it's at the end of his 40-day fasting period. Now, notice the way it says it doesn't say that the fast was over. It just says that after 40 days and 40 nights, Satan came to him and he was very hungry. In fact, I was reading the other day that there's a time Whenever you, after when you, you're hungry, when you first start out on a fast, and then you go into a time where you're not hungry anymore. And that time can last up to 40 days. And so at this point, it appears that in Jesus' body, that starvation mode has kicked in. 
and his body is getting ready to start really feeding on living tissue and parts of his body that normally would carry out other functions. And so he's in starvation mode. And at this point, at this point, Satan sees his opportunity. And he says, and the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Now, this is sort of a manna from heaven concept that Satan uh, tempts Jesus with. You see, the Israelites got to eat manna when they were hungry in the, in the wilderness. And it came down from heaven. And Satan is saying, Jesus, you're hungry too. And you're in the wilderness just like they were. God gave bread to them. He gave them manna. He'll let you use your power to make bread for yourself. He understands that you're hungry. Go on. It's okay. God won't mind. How many times have you heard that in different ways? God won't care. God understands. That's one of the main ways that he tries to tempt you through the lust of the flesh. So God says it's okay, but did God really say it was okay? No, it was the devil that was saying that God said it was okay. So now then, uh, here are two things that are at stake. And uh, there are two things at stake here, two questions I want to ask going into this. The two questions are, could Jesus have sinned? Question number two, why was turning stones into bread wrong? Have you ever thought about that? Okay, the first question, could Jesus have sinned? As I've looked through the Bible over and over again, there are some people that argue, no, Jesus was God, Jesus is God, and God cannot sin, therefore Jesus could not sin. But the thing is, it says that Jesus came here as the second Adam, that he came here as a human being. And it's made clear that he emptied himself of anything that had to do with God. Uh, it's, let's see, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and uh, there's a, uh, well, first of all, there's a concept here for Jesus to become the sinless sacrifice for the world, he had to be able to sin. It was within him to be able to sin. But here's the concept. Paul lays out a, uh, a whole concept that I think is so important, and it's what's at stake here. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, talk about Adam here, if by the transgression, by the sin of one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace 
uh, and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So then, as through one transgression, as through one sin, there resulted condemnation to all men. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. Sin came into the world through one man. And the spiritual principle and the reality is that sin could only be taken from the world by one man. And so a second Adam is presented. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. The law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so, grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, here's the principle. Sin came through one person who had a perfect world. The first sin messed it up. The world was imperfect. Death and destruction and decay and rot were let loose in the world because of that. Only by God sending his son, his son being here as a man, and his son resisting temptation and living a sinless life and offering himself as a sacrifice on behalf of sinful men, could we find salvation. And so Jesus is tempted. There is a lot at stake here. There are souls at stake here. Your eternal life is at stake here in this wilderness. My eternal life is at stake right here. And it's made clear that it is only through Jesus Christ and through faith in his blood that we find salvation. That's, that's it. It's just laid out clearly there. All of that was at stake in the, in the, in the wilderness. And so uh, scripture makes it clear that God, Jesus the Son, became a man. Reading in Philippians, we read, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, divested himself of his godliness, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He was truly tempted. There was the possibility that he could sin, but if he did, he could not be our Savior. And then in Hebrews we read, Therefore, 
He had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Okay. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. He went, he became one of us. He went through everything that we go through. And because of that, and because he did not sin, now he can help us out of our sin. So why was turning stones into bread wrong? It just seems like the right thing to do. I mean, he had the power to do it. Uh, He was hungry. And I was thinking earlier, and the fast was over. But the thing is, it doesn't say the fast was over, does it? It just says that at the end of 40 days, these things start happening. And see, remember how he got into the wilderness? He was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. And he has been there being led by the Holy Spirit. Before he went into the wilderness, if you'll recall, he went to the River Jordan and he was baptized in the River Jordan. And there he made a profession of his trusting in God and a dedication of himself to God. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit ascended bodily on him like a dove, it says. And the father spoke from heaven and says, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And it was after that, after he had made this public profession and commitment, but it wasn't just public. It was also before God. He gave himself to God that day in a very official way. And so he is led into the wilderness, it says, to be tempted or to be tested. When we're tempted and tested, it's to show us who we are, and also it's to show God whose we are. And so he responds to the same scripture that Satan is really referring to. And he, we, we, we find this as the answer tells us that uh, a lot about what's going on. Jesus is quoting from the eighth chapter of Deuteronomy. And in eight, in Deuteronomy, start with verse eight, one, it says, all the commandments that I are commanding you today, I'm commanding you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. You shall remember all the ways in which the Lord your God, listen to this, has led you in the wilderness these 40, then it says years. Jesus was led in the wilderness 40 days. And here's the reason why. That he might humble you 
testing you. For what reason? To know what was in your heart. This is why Jesus was sent into the wilderness. Not just so that he could know what was in his heart, but so that others could know what was in his heart, and so Satan could know what was in his heart. To know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry. Do you see why Jesus is quoting this particular passage? He humbled you and he let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. You see, the children of the wilderness were fed strictly from God. They weren't fed by any means of their own that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. And then he reminds them, and I really like this, your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. Have you ever noticed that? Their feet didn't swell. I knew their clothes didn't wear out. But you imagine walking around for 40 years? You'd imagine their feet would swell. The older I get, the more I'm aware that that can happen. But uh, he's, he makes it clear. He's letting them see. This is a supernatural, uh, natural thing. They just wandered around, but God was taking care of them in ways that they probably didn't even notice that their clothes weren't getting worn out. Um, I remember when Sharon and I first started out in the ministry, it just amazed, years after we started, I was like, our clothes have lasted. You know, we couldn't afford any more clothes. It's a good thing that they did last. Our kids' clothes, we were able to hand them down, and they were good. But anyway, so uh, the Lord, as they were doing what the Lord called them to do, the Lord was providing, the Lord was making a way. So when we look at this passage, we can see that there's a twisting of God's word here by Satan. The lie, the scripture twisting by Satan, is that the Israelites were relying upon God for provision. Though the manna was on the ground, it was still a test of faith for the people. They had to believe that God's word was trustworthy and that if they did things God's way, he would provide for them. And I think that's key to this temptation. If they did things God's way, if they did things God's way, he would provide for them what they needed each day. We pray, give us this day our daily bread. You know, there's a re- this tie goes through all of Scripture. But you remember, some of the Israelites tried to store up manna for the future. Some of them tried to do things their own way, taking the things that God had provided, but then disobeying him in the way that they handled them. They had a better idea than God. They took what he provided and then were disobedient with what he provided. They were only supposed to collect what they needed for one day. But some of them collected enough for two or three days. Do you remember what happened? The next day when they woke up, 
the extra that they collected was rotting and full of maggots. If they wanted daily sustenance, they had to daily trust God to provide it. But the temptation was to attempt to provide somewhat for themselves, even though they had to rely on what God was given. They wanted to take it and do something more with it than what he was saying to do. And this is the temptation that Jesus faces here. If Jesus made bread for himself, he would be acting with no reference to God. He would just be taking what the devil said and acting on that. Satan wants Jesus to listen to his needs and his circumstances and not consider God in the process. That's the lust of the flesh. This is the, if it feels good, it's okay to do it philosophy, which is so prevalent in our world today. Now, don't misunderstand. There's nothing wrong with having our needs met. There's nothing wrong with eating when we're hungry. There's nothing wrong with resist, with, with resting when we're tired. There's nothing wrong with working hard to provide for ourselves or for our family. But there is something wrong when we don't consider God's will in the matter. And even there's more something terribly wrong when we don't consider God in it at all. Because every one of us here presented ourselves to be baptized at one point in our life. We gave our very lives to God. And from that moment on, living in his kingdom, everything that we do should be in reference to God and connected to God because you have given yourself to him. Jesus considered the source of the temptation. His mission at this point was to rely on God and to listen to him and to consider him at all times not to just respond or react to a feeling of hunger. Do you see the difference? There is a difference. Okay. So here's what we see. Later on, Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount is going to say something that helps us to see that he, and it just helps us to understand. In Matthew, the sixth chapter, in reading in the, starting the 24th verse, we need to understand that Jesus is talking from experience whenever he says these words. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth, it says in this translation. The word is also mammon. It can also be translated avarice which is the same root where we get the word avid from. Uh, I like what uh, John Wesley says about mammon. He says, riches, money, anything loved or sought without reference to God. I like that. It just makes this make so much more sense. Anything loved or sought without reference to God. As he continues to speak in the Sermon on the Mount, we realize that he's speaking from personal experience when we hear him say, 
in verse 6 to 25. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink or for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? If anybody knows that, it's Jesus. Look what he has been through. And then he goes on down and he says, do not worry then saying, what will we eat from experience? He's been there. What shall we drink? I'm sure he got thirsty out there in the wilderness. Or what shall we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly father knows that you need these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Anything sought without reference to God, without considering God, is a step away from God and from his presence in your life. And Paul gives us a good rule of thumb to guide us in this, in his letter to the Colossians. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. The biggest source of sinfulness throughout the history of the world is this. Deciding what we're going to do with no reference to God in the matter whatsoever. That's it. Let's pray. Dear Lord, every one of us here has given ourselves to you. And every one of us here has heard either from friends or from the devil himself, oh, you know God understands when what we really knew was your will in your word. We ask you to forgive us for those times whenever we didn't consider your will, when we decided what we were going to do based on our wants and our needs with no reference to you. Forgive us for those times, Lord, and help us to go forth this day as those who do everything as unto you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.